Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Here at The Next Reel, we've been passionately discussing movies week after week since 2011. That's a lot of movies and a lot of conversation. Sure is, Pete. And to be honest, it's a lot of work, too. But it's work that we love. If you've been enjoying our show, we'd like to remind you that there are ways to support us, even if you're not able to become a member just yet. You might have heard us talk about our new watch page, where we've listed every movie that we've talked about paired with Amazon or Apple links to rent or buy the movie. Now we'd like to introduce you to our Originals page. Let's take a trip down memory lane, Andy. Do you remember what the first film we discussed on The Next Reel was that was an adaptation? Uh, well, let's see. It wasn't, obviously, our Indiana Jones series, because those were all original. Uh, then we did Charlie Kaufman. Uh, oh, of course, it was Adaptation uh, from Susan Orlean's Orchid Thief. Exactly. We have covered quite a few adaptations over the years, and now we're providing a way for our listeners to delve into the original source material. That's right. Just head over to thenextreel.com slash originals, and you can see the list of all the adaptations that we have discussed. From our David Fincher series, featuring The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, and Fight Club. To our Paranoia trilogy with The Parallax View and All the President's Men. We have covered a variety of adaptations. Those were some great discussions, especially Fight Club. And let's not forget our baseball series with The Natural and Field of Dreams, adapted from Shoeless Joe. And Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking. So many memorable conversations. Absolutely. And you know what's exciting? Each purchase you make through our links doesn't cost you any extra, but a percentage goes to support the next reel in our family of shows. You can support us while diving deeper into these fantastic stories, whether it's the paper, audiobook, or Kindle version. We've also included plays and movies. If they were the source, we've put it on there. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals, support the next reel, and get your next great read today. I'm off to reread Fight Club. Now, where did I put my Kindle? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hold on. I got to stop this thing now. <laughs> like, how do I stop it? It's too late. I've already started. God, I've already started. Andy, get back on the train. <laughs> I hope that uh, the sound holds up. Man, that was bad news last week. Yeah. That was terrible. Uh, terrible. Sometimes Skype is fantastic. Sometimes it's uh, it's a right mess. It's probably my... Uh, I, my new neighbors I, that are uh, affecting the usage of the You think it's your neighbors? Do you, do you have neighbors that are uh, hogging it? Yeah, I bet. I love that, that you can at least blame someone in the neighborhood. <laughs> well, well, they're new. Who else am I going to blame? No, I, hey, preaching to the choir, brother. Uh, You're here. So what, what, what have you discovered this week? Uh, anything, uh, anything new to open us with? So, um, well, you know, I was having this dilemma, as you know, about um, after I made the mistake of washing my my iPod. Yeah. I was having a dilemma trying to figure out what uh, this whole new world that I had to jump into as far as podcatchers. I was just using iTunes, right? Yeah. And inevitably, I ended up getting... Um, um, an iPhone, which now I'm I'm using iTunes again. However, um, I am using something now for um, catching some podcasts and other shows uh, because I discovered there's a lot more out there than just the podcasts I was getting through iTunes. Oh, sure. So, so you know what I'm using? Which well, I want to hear it. It 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 strikes me as foolish to not have tried it before all the others, but I ended up I'm using Stitcher. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, well, yeah, this is the one we, we have we, our show we on. We have been Maybe advertising. Try it. And uh, yeah, it's it's actually great. I there, It recommends all these these shows for me, you know, some better than others, but uh, I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit. And it plays double speed, which is was an absolutely must have for me. Yeah. Well, especially for this show, because we tend to talk too slow. I find that we talk really slow because I listen to us normally on triple speed, and that's now normal. I want that option. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's in Downcast. That's the that's the one I use, and I love it. I love it so much. I am I like it. I plus one it. I fan it. I invite it to my house for drinks. Wow. Things things get a little rough, but we does work your, through it. Does we, your wife know? <laughs> oh, she's there. She's oh okay. Yeah, okay. no, she she uses it too. Everybody's using downcast. <laughs> wow, I'm a sounds, I'm sounds a so modern massive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a progressive podcasting tool. 
I uh, and so I know I love it. I'm glad to hear that you are uh, that you're in in the uh, in the in crowd. You're part. Yeah. You're practically Battlefield America. <laughs> practically, yeah. I'm going to get my urban dance moves ready. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what? So now that you've got that figured out, anything? Uh, have you seen anything this week? Anything new this week that you need to you need to get off your chest? Um. Yes, some trailers, and uh, I did see Men in Black Three. I did too. Do tell. Well, okay, so. I wasn't a huge fan of the first Men in Black. I thought it was fun, mm-hmm. but I also thought it was pretty forgettable. Um, the second one, I never even saw. And from what you told me and what everybody, as I remembered from back in the day, what everybody said is it's a huge waste of time. Don't bother. Um, so, so, I mean, there was really no interest on my end to go see it, but a buddy was in town. It was holiday weekend we wanted to go see a fun action movie we'd both seen the avengers so we said oh, let's see men in black three and it was actually pretty enjoyable i enjoyed it more than the first one and um you know i i it's it's not the avengers but i had a lot of fun with it and uh jermaine clement i think really is, is one of the reasons that i enjoyed it so much yeah. as boris the animal he, he was, was terrific he was, was so fun to oh, watch, he was terrific so. I uh I I found myself uh not only did I enjoy the movie I found myself moved at the end. Well it uh, you know and this is what one of my uh, uh buddies said is he said you know it had a lot more heart than I was expecting yeah. and yeah that that twist at the end uh I don't know if it's a twist but you know a little surprise uh was a, a genuine touching moment it I was. I liked it. I absolutely did. It was, it was, uh, it was, as you say, it was a surprise and it, it, it puts, it, it really did a good job of putting the rest of the film sort of in perspective through all of the, you know, fun, gory, silly alien stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was actually a good heart to it. So I, I quite enjoyed it too. Uh, the best part for me, um, through the whole thing, which really took me by surprise was their, their little alien friend, um, Griffin who was a, like a fifth dimensional mm-hmm. being or whatever, who could see like every possible outcome um, until, until it actually happened. Right. And he was just so great played by Michael Stuhlbarg, who was, um, it, 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 I didn't place him right away that he was uh, in a serious man. Yes. Uh, I, I, it didn't click until I, uh, and in Hugo actually, but uh, yeah, it didn't click until I, I looked him up later. But I was like, he was so good in that movie. Yeah. Like I loved him more than Jermaine Clement. I think I just loved his, his, that character. I just thought was excellent. Ter- yeah, it was terrific. It was uh, it was another one of the little surprises that you you know as soon as you hear it's a character that can simultaneously see in all uh, different you know across different parallel dimensions. You think, ah, gimmick. But mm-hmm. they, I, I think they used him really well. And when they finally revealed how he sees mm-hmm. at the baseball stadium, I, th- yeah. I thought that was a really touching and and really quite an elegant way to to resolve that potential confusion. Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, I also really liked the the son of the guy who invented the little time travel device. Yeah, yeah. he was he was just a fun. He sh- was a fun character. You a, know. <laughs> a, a brief a brief highlight in the film that yes. he's he was he was fun. <laughs> he was he was fun. Um. So yeah. So that was the the movie going experience I had this week. 
I uh, that's uh, that's all I saw. I think a couple of uh, I think gosh, what the big trailer that hit I think was Les Mis. Yes, which um, got me excited. Yeah, it got me excited too. I don't know. I uh, what do you think about uh, what do you think about this film? It look it's pretty stunning. Yeah, I mean, there's not. It still is kind of a teaser. It's just you know you're just hearing the song. Yeah. As uh, and, and then you're seeing a lot of great clips, but uh, you know not having really been paying attention to what was going on with it, um, um, I was really pleasantly surprised to see who the cast was. And I think they made a lot of really great choices. I hope it fares better than the the late 90s Les Mis, which you know, certainly had a lot going for it, but unfortunately it just didn't really do much. It wasn't a musical version. It was just kind of a straight-up tale that I just think they... They didn't who, get right. Now I forget who was in that. The guy from the the piano playing movie. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, yeah um, ugh, now, now you see? say that. Do you see what blank. I did there? Yeah. Uh, you just threw me. Um, yes, Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and Liam Neeson. Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Right. Played yeah. Jean Valjean, and uh, Um Thurman was in it, um, and uh, I can't remember who else. Um, uh, what's her name? My so-called life girl. Uh, it was, uh, oh gosh, it's going to make me crazy. Claire Danes. Claire Danes. I like her yeah. a lot, yeah. actually. So it had a great yeah. cast. It just, it, it, uh, and it, it just didn't carry it. But, uh, so this one is the musical version. Uh, um, I'm curious how long it will be because if you go sit and watch the Broadway show, it's, you know, it's full, pretty, yeah, it's pretty epic. three and a half hours or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, so that, that was the, I think the, the, the big new thing to talk about. Was there the, anything well, else that jumped big, out this week? Yeah. The big, the big trailer for me this week is the trailer for the imposter. Which, oh, you posted on Facebook about yeah, this. Tell me about yeah, this. This is a, this is a documentary, um, I was the production manager for this, uh, for the Arizona portion of the shoot last year. Um, they also shot in Spain. Um, it's, um, the story of a, um, it's a documentary and it's the story of a, a, um, a boy from a Texas family who went missing when he was 16. Four years later, somebody a boy appears in this phone booth in Spain and says that he's this kid and he goes back to America. His family welcomes him and all this stuff. And, um, you know, it's only through some FBI work and detective work that they realize that this is actually a French, um, chameleon who basically, um, poses as other people and takes other identities and he's been, you know, kind of living this life where he goes and, and lives as children stay and lives at orphanages and all this sort of thing. And, and he posed as this, as the, the missing kid from this family. And, um, so that, you know, they, they finally realize that, but then they start questioning, well, why did the family accept him so much if there's all these signs that, um, that he clearly wasn't their relation, um, you know, and so it starts opening up a whole other can of worms. It's it's a really interesting story, and it looks gorgeous, and I'm uh, I'm very excited to see it. It played at Sundance this past year, and uh, yeah, it's going to be opening I think in New York in July, 
and then it'll open a little wider in August. Oh, that's great. So yeah, it's uh, it sounds gonna, like a sounds like a fascinating story. It was it was a a rough shoot. <laughs> it, I mean, it, you know, talking about Ridley Scott and James Cameron, you know, I will say I think that this director um, Bart is um, very much the same mind set as these guys. He's very exacting to get what he wants, pushing everybody beyond their limits. Um, you know, the point where there's tears and everything. And, and it was, it was really an exhausting shoot, but you know, when you see the trailer and you realize what it is that he was getting, you go, yeah, you know, he was right. So. Hmm. Fascinating. I'm excited. Well, so yeah, so uh, that's, uh, and, and you haven't, even though you worked on it, you haven't had any effort to actually see it in motion. No. Once that leaves your, once that leaves Arizona, you're done and they move on to new crew. Yeah. Right. I mean, they shot the Spain portion first, so we, they ended with us, and then they went back. It's a London-based company, so they went back to London to, so to do all the editing and shit up. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, that's but, a, it's uh, sad. You'd think they do they like send you birthday cards or <laughs> really they just wash their hands of you. Yeah, they do. They just you know. That's a uh, sad. It's a sad business you're in. Yeah, we're the we're the drippings left on the plate that they scrape down the uh, disposal after it's, they. After it's like, yeah, it's like the sludge or the the slag. Yeah. You're the sludge and slag. <laughs> I'm gonna get a shirt that says sludge and slag. I'm gonna yeah. wear that. Get work on a shoot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So anyway, that's yeah. that's right. that's my bit of exciting trailer. All right, stuff. so we're looking for the imposter to open mm. and wide release over the next couple months. Wider, wider. Toward the end of the summer. All right. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So uh, I got nothing. I didn't see anything else uh, uh, this week and uh, besides Men in Black. So I'm, I'm ready to talk about this movie. Let's do it. So we're on, uh, we're on part three. Part three and uh, part nine. <laughs> right. This, is a, this movie is serving uh, double duty. Mm -hmm. uh, it is part three of our alien discussion. And uh, part nine of our David Fincher discussion. Uh, David Fincher, uh, yeah, uh, what do we call it? The Benjamin Buttons. Uh, yeah, Benjamin Buttons Button style Fincher Fest. <laughs> Fincher Fest, yeah. <laughs> uh, this movie is directed by uh, David Fincher. came out in May of 1992. Uh, Alien 3, uh, the, the third part of the Alien saga. What do you... I, I'm not sure... So I watched this movie and I found myself really surprised by my response. It is, it's a very, well, it's not, it didn't, it, it aged differently on me. Hmm. Yeah. Now saying that, how, what, what was your initial reaction to it? Did you, did you see this one in the theaters? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. So what was your initial reaction? I, uh, rem I remember thinking it was a, it was a, oh, it was a music video. It was just, it was dumb. It was just really, uh, cheap sweeping guy you know i was a dumb kid when i saw this movie this was i i was old enough now to realize that i i was i, I was really dumb and and so i you know my memory of it is is of the that dumb kid who saw this movie and was way too high on himself and and which maybe nothing has changed <laughs> but uh but my memory of it, it was with that mindset and and um i thought there were way too many overhead shots and way too many sweeping tracking shots and and uh it just felt too much like you know um like a, a MTV 
kind of thing. And and so I didn't, I it didn't age, it, it didn't stick with me very well. And so I, even though I had it in in my collection, it wasn't a movie that I put in uh, often. And as a result, I, over the course of years, began to transpose a lot of elements of Resurrection, Alien Four, and Alien Three, uh, on one another. And uh, when I watched this movie this week, it was like watching a whole new film, Hmm. a whole new film. I watched the director's cut uh, of the film, uh, the re-release from what was that, 2003. And and so there are some things about this, the theatrical release that I remember very, very clearly that are not that's totally surprised me that aren't in the director's cut. I I really found myself I'm shocked and ashamed that I haven't watched this movie more. Well, and when you years. say director's cut, well, oh, yeah, it's not. A we're just we're cut. just talking about the right. assembly cut. The assembly, the assembly cut, right? Two thousand three assembly cut. That I my my bad. Um, it uh, and so I this movie sort of uh, this movie hurts me a little bit because uh, I gotta tell you, I really like it. I really like this movie. There are a few elements that I find really dumb. Mm-hmm. And they make me kind of choke, but in general, I really like it. Yeah, I really, really like it. I'm going to use <laughs> really a lot. Like I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. I love the whole cast of bald British white men and uh, <laughs> you know and Charles S. Dutton. I like <laughs> like I I like uh, I like what I, I love the way it was set up, and I think it. Yeah, I I think as a story, it does what it needs to do um, inside the alien universe to allow us. I mean, we know that the the sort of objective of the film is to have an, is to keep the the series going, and I think it it does what it needs to do to get you into the story fast enough so that you uh, so that you buy how they they got there. Some cases you don't actually buy it, but once you actually get over the fact that you don't buy it and get into the story, it it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I crazy? No, I've actually, I've always liked it. <laughs> I am one of those people who always was the minority. Yeah, you're total said, contrarian. Yeah, I, I, I'm the lone hand raised in the back of the room saying, yeah, I kind of liked that one. It was never my favorite, but I never, I never was like upset by it. Like a lot of my friends who were really big fans of the alien series like were really upset by what what they did with this film mm-hmm. i think a lot of the anger came from the fact that both newt and hicks are dead early at, at, well at the start <laughs> the of the credits, film like yeah. in the first in the first couple minutes they're dead and and really horribly like what they the what you see of the just the teeth and it's just really some 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 pretty horrific imagery of the of the crash. Yeah, it's not it's not very pretty, yeah. and and you know there's a yeah a few quick cuts in the uh, 2003 cut that you know show little flashes of them while they're still in the yeah. ship, and you just it's it's pretty horrific. <laughs> yeah, but but so. that's you know that's what I'm what I mean by. Um, by the movie does what it needs to do to get you into its own story and sort of take ownership of the storyline as it exists and not and, and and do its best to sort of shake off the shroud of alien and aliens. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I mean, uh, it does. It does. It, it lets you know that, you know, you're, you're not tied down by anything that's gone on before, essentially. Right. You know, they're going to, they're, in a way it's, it's what you hear a lot in, in films where, you know, they kill off a character. It's kind of like, you know, Harry Potter, I think it was, um, I th- actually, I think it's the last one when they take off on their broomsticks and all of a sudden, like all these characters that you've loved are already killed off you yeah, know, right, yeah. right from the start, uh, including his owl, which, you know, um, it's like that sort of thing where they let you know, you know, this is a story where we're where nobody's safe. Right. Right. And uh, well, and that's I mean, I can't think of any better uh, property than Game of Thrones to do that. I mean, they have actually built a, an entire franchise on nobody being safe, which I haven't seen. So I can't. Oh, say, God, but man, uh, get over yourself. I told you about mind. the one scene that I caught. Yeah. And that was the <laughs> which, that was that was. Uh, yeah. Say hi. This this guy's definitely not safe. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, but um no, but you're right. It's I, I think that's a um a very important point with the story. And you know, it's it um I don't think that Michael Bean liked it very much that, that uh Hicks was cut out. Um I'm sure Carrie Henn didn't, but I you know, Sigourney Weaver said that, you know, she felt that this was a story where it uh, this this group of stories this alien franchise in some aspect is really about kind of the loneliness that is you know thrust upon this ripley character and by allowing hicks and newt to continue being alive in the third film it really doesn't uh, it doesn't keep that going and and i think what they end up setting up with the gang of of bald white guys is um you know, you see, you have the Ripley character as as sort of one dramatic element, yeah. And you have the prisoners as another one, and yeah. with the exception of of you know Charles S. Dutton to some extent, Charles Dance uh, to a greater extent, the rest of the prisoners form this other dramatic element, this other sort of chess piece on the board. And and I think had you you know had you been operating with any of the other for lack of a better word, legacy character elements, uh, you know, Hicks and uh, in in particular, you don't get that that dynamic. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you really need the collective bald white guys to be the idiots that they are and in order to show the contrast of what, what Ripley is going through, as you say, in that sort of isolation. I think that was that's a really powerful match. Mm-hmm. Now, did you did you watch both versions this past week, the original and then the assembly cut? No, just the assembly cut. Was just I supposed to watch cut. them both? Was that the assignment? Did you give me an assignment? I, I think we talked about watching the assembly cut, but I couldn't yeah. remember um, if you were gonna if you like how recently you had seen the original as well, because there's definite like major differences between the two. Yeah, I I was hoping so. There there are. Th- um, there are a couple of things I was hoping you could walk us through because I know you're you're more in touch with with this film as I have been than I have been. Uh, the first is the really grotesquely public um, dispute 
uh, going uh, that went on between Fincher and the studio and what you know what happened and what were those struggles I mean struggles from you know going to work every day uh, and and not working with a finished shooting script um, yeah. you know the, the 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 clips that you can find on YouTube of David Fincher talking about his experience was were were just terrible and if you go back and listen to our shows uh, you know talking about David Fincher and his role coming back to seven you, you know we we go into a little bit of detail about how it was it was tough for him to to think about going back to work with seven because of mm-hmm. such the horrible experience so I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that um and the and then second is to walk through a little bit of what what they went back to do what the intention was with the assembly edit uh, the assembly cut of this film well I think to start um I you know I think before we even get into Fincher, I mean, we should talk about why this story was such a mess to begin with, because I think that really leads into where it was when Fincher came on board and essentially why it ended up being the way it was. Um, This, you know, the studio, Aliens was a big success, and they really wanted another one to come out. you know, David Geiler and Walter Hill, who were kind of the two um, primary driving forces behind the series by this point. Um, they, you know, they weren't so sure, but they they agreed to, you know, start trying to figure out a way to make it happen. And they hired, the first person they hired was actually William Gibson to write the script. Um, he wrote a script. And actually, if you, if you search around on the web, um, you can find a lot of these different scripts that um from alien 3 that different people had written william gibson wrote a script um in this one it was really more about hicks and bishop on this space station battling the aliens um that one didn't go uh, didn't end up happening because of the writer's strike um they brought in eric red who had done the hitcher and near dark he was working on it, um, and I believe by this point they had brought in Rennie Harlan as the director. And uh, they, he may have worked a little bit with William Gibson, but um, I think what happened is he worked a lot with Eric Red trying to build this script. Um, and this one actually moved the whole story to Earth, where it was taking place. Um, I think it was on Earth. And then that didn't end up happening. Rennie Harlan, had by this point, he had spent a year working on it. Um, that didn't happen. Happen. Eric Red was fired. They brought in David Twohey to work on it. Who at this point, um, I think he had written a script or two. Um, he ended up going on to write and direct the Pitch Black and the Chronicles of Riddick and some other uh, kind of those sci-fi films. But he was um, he did it on a prison planet. Uh, so that was kind of the first version of that. Um, but it really was more of a, a whole big um, story about you know the aliens versus the humans and this this big battle type of story that didn't happen. Then they then they ended up with Vincent Ward based on this um, this film that he had done. He's a New Zealand director, and his story that he came up with was on this basically like a wooden planet that was hollow and it had all these like little levels going all the way down to the center which was like a glass refinery and the spaceship crashes on this planet and it's it's you know peopled by all these monks 
And it turned into this really strange story. Um, a lot of people online really love this script. Um, I think, uh, you know, Guiler and Hill initially liked it, but there, there was something about it that was a little confusing as far as like, why is there this big wooden planet? They couldn't really understand that. Um, and then they actually started moving forward with this one. However, they started realizing how expensive it was going to be and it wasn't, you know, they started getting af afraid that it was just not going to happen uh, the way that they wanted it to with the budget that they had. And, um, but around this point, the studio put out a release date. They said, we're going to release this in, I think it was Easter of 1990. And so all of a sudden now they're pushing to get this thing to go. It's not happening. So Vincent Ward ends up off the project and now Walter Hill and David Geiler end up saying, we'll just write it ourselves. Um, Sigourney Weaver through this whole process was, you know, in and out of different scripts. And she said to Walter Hill and David Geiler, look, you are the two who know the story. I'll come on board if you guys do it. Also keep the weapons out because I, you know, she was very anti-weapons. She didn't want to, she thought aliens had way too many weapons. And so that's, the, that's where they ended up. They had this script. Or they didn't have a script, but they decided they're going to write it. Um, they're going to write it. They have, a they have a release date and they have a star. And they have a star. But they don't have a director. Let's get an, another young, um, untested director because we can probably get someone who's who has proven himself in some things like music videos, but we can still get for cheap. So they get David Fincher come on board. They have no script, but they, they have an idea. They actually still like the idea of Vincent Ward's script with this wooden monastery, but it's, it's too expensive. So Hill and Geiler scrap the whole wooden planet they scrap the monastery and they say let's go back and just make it a prison planet and then basically they're writing this script as they go along now i think the idea of the studio was to hire a director who um, was really good with visuals and who could tell a really interesting visual story um, i.e a music video director bring them on board and have them direct this script that's basically going to be thrown at them page by page as they're shooting and find the and, and be somebody who can keep the look and the the everything consistent while these script pages are thrown at them david fincher however was not the sort of person who uh kowtowed to the studio because oh this is my first film I am uh, I am uh, I am forever in your debt I'll do whatever you say he was definitely not that sort of person his mentality going into this project was look you guys hired me to direct this story the best that I could in the way that I see it happening I am going to do that if it's if things are coming in that, that I think are going to be affecting the story that I'm supposed to be telling I'm going to not I'm not going to do that. And and what ended up happening is that he ended up having major battles with um, Hill and Geiler with the script. He ended up having battles with um, uh, the the studio heads at 20th Century Fox. Um, even 
some of his crew because you know people were working on so many different versions of the movie by this point and it was it created this very tenuous environment that he had a very tough time dealing with and uh, um it made for something where there were too many cooks in the kitchen you know he would go and make a decision and say let's do this and this he would leave and go talk to somebody else and one of the studio people who basically was his shadow would come up and say, okay, you can do this and this, but not this because there's no money for that. And then they would leave and follow him to, to keep an eye on him and an ear on him. And what happened was it created this situation where decisions weren't being made because they were right for the story. They ended up being made because they were um, the cheapest decisions to be made. This was a, a film that you know probably started on a budget. Uh, I think it started on a budget higher than Aliens. However, by the time they were done with this, after working on this for over two years, probably over three years, it ended up costing them like $63 million to make this film, which is more than twice the budget of Alien and Aliens combined. Unreal. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just a mess. Yeah. And, it, you know... They hired somebody to do a job. They had no script to do it, and and they just you know blamed. They they just took. They wouldn't let this person make anything that congealed. And yet, right? I mean, and yet, and yet, he was still able to create something that has definite kind of that Fincher style, the the lighting and the look and the smoke and the the whole atmosphere. And it still has an interesting story. And I think a lot of that actually stems from um, the the story credit that Vincent Ward still has. Because a lot of it, I believe, was pulled from that wooden monastery script, even though Hill and Geiler pretty much transformed the entire thing. But, um, you know, I think that helped. But, you know, it's I'm glad that he was able to to make it as as uh, consistent as he was, considering how many uh, fingers were were in it through the whole course of it. I, you know, I think that's. Uh, I, I we've talked about this before. You know, it seems like the more writers, the more involved studio involvement. Uh, you know, the further you get from that auteur uh, mentality. Uh, the messier and the higher risk the production can become. And, and I think alien three is one that, that really, um, it becomes an exemplar of, of exactly the worst that can happen. Um, and, and it's, it's a shame. And that's why I say it sort of pains me to think about this movie because it's such a shame that, that it was such a contentious experience for, it sounds like just about everybody involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yet I think it's, it stands as such a, uh, really a solid addition to the series. Yeah, it it is. And, you know, it was, uh, it, it definitely is designed to be a tragedy. It's not uh, as uplifting of a film at, right. at any point. Right. Um, but I think it's, I think it's a, a good entry in the alien saga. Well, and I think it's a, it's a really interesting place because of, of this, quote uh, from Sigourney Weaver early on in talking about the development. She says, I felt that Ripley was going to become a burden to the story. There are only so many aspects of that character that you can do. Yeah. Uh, 
and and yet you know here with that that's before alien 3 was uh you know was produced and uh, alien resurrection uh even further out than that um so i don't know do you get the feeling that they that that weaver's character is the central kind of protagonist in this film again uh was played out in this movie at all no i, I... And I, I think that they did find a way to to use her well again. I mean, in a certain sense, it does feel a little, um, you know, it's, you know, there's an alien loose and they have to fight against it. It felt more like alien, I think, than aliens, just because it's this one alien in kind of a confined interior environment that they're, they're battling it. Um, however, I think what really strikes me with this film and uh, I, I think is what makes it more interesting for me is the fact that she has she has been impregnated and has an alien inside of her mm-hmm. not just any alien but a queen inside of her mm-hmm. and I, I think that's very interesting um, and I think that I think that's what uh, the whole end of this film yeah we got really, we gotta say it <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's what makes it really stand out as a um as uh I guess what we were just saying about her character and, and being played out. Um in a way it's saying, okay, this now now that we've gone through this whole process, now we've played it out and now we're gonna throw her into the fire <laughs> or have her jump into the fire more appropriately. So uh so let's talk then about the assembly cut. Right. Uh, can, are you ready? Yeah. Let's okay. let's uh, let's start. So, two thousand three, uh, they break out the um, uh, uh, thirty additional minutes of footage. Now, these were not. Well, I don't know if it's thirty additional minutes, but it's it's thirty minutes longer. I think. Than well, I, yeah, I'm I, I'm just reading from the studio. Over thirty minutes of additional footage. Mm-hmm. Um. And I know some things were cut uh, and tweaked and massaged, but this was not a Fincher. Uh, uh, yeah, that's why we call it the assembly cut. This was not a Fincher director's cut. He had no involvement in. Uh, he walked off the set uh, when it was over, when they were done shooting, and he essentially washed his hands of this film, and that was it. Yeah, <laughs> he did not come back. And uh, I mean, there's a there's a bit on the behind the scenes commentary where he's he's sitting on set and he the boom operator is right over him and he grabs the boom mic and he puts it in his mouth and he's just like, I don't I don't know how uh, 20th Century Fox can be the biggest or the number one studio uh, in the world when it's run by complete morons. (laughs) 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 So he was definitely done with them. And yeah, I think he essentially completely washed his hands of this project uh permanently so 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 it's the assembly cut it's basically taking footage that ended up on the cutting room floor when they did the initial edit and putting it back in so at least we the viewer and the fans of the alien series can see what was additional what was intended to be included so what are the what would you say are the substantive uh dramatic points that were improved or or you know edited in a way that that improved the the original cut of the film for you? Well, um there's a couple. The first one is the opening. I I mean the whole, you know, her the the 
ship crashing on the planet and everything, um, we actually see more outside of the planet. We see these prisoners working with cattle. Uh, we see um, her, Ripley, has washed up on shore. In the original cut, they basically see the ship crash. They pull it out, and she's in it. Um, we never see the cattle in the original 1992 version. Um, and what ends up happening in the, in the theatrical cut is a dog is the creature that basically gets the face hugger um, on it and the alien bursts out of the dog. In this assembly cut, the dog, uh, I mean, it, the dog's been replaced by a, one of these ox. And so it allows for, I, I mean, it just makes sense, I guess, that it's a, a big alien, you know, is, as opposed to a big alien that came out of a little tiny dog. Mm -hmm. But um, so that's a big one. Um, it also, well, and, and it also, yeah, I, I, I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about what could this possibly, what is the difference here? Like, why is it important that it's, an, that the, the implantation is to one of these alien ox creatures rather than the dog? What I think we're supposed to get out of this is that the alien, um, you know, just the nature of the alien being inside of whatever species it is in takes on characteristics of that species. Right. Right. I had not made that connection at all in alien or aliens. Well, and I don't think, um, it would have, th there would have been a reason for us to make that connection since, um, we've never seen it come out of anything other than a human. So for all yeah. intents and purposes, what we see is what it always will be. Right. More or less humanoid. Mm -hmm. standing at you know full stature and this alien was notably different it was much more i you know i i hesitate to say ox like uh it was much more cat like uh yeah. or creature like you know you felt like it was fastest on all fours and you know crawled the walls and yeah although it could apparently still stand like a man yeah um that's you know and that's one of the rough things about the film when you watch it now is um I always feel like the alien kind of changes sizes a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There are places <laughs> but, where it's really small. Yeah, it seems like this little little alien, and then you you have it when it's the um, you know Tom Woodruff in the costume, and it's like this big man sized right. creature. I'm like, oh, okay. What just happened to the little kitty cat alien? <laughs> So, so okay so uh, that's you know, I, I and I want to talk about the special effects because that's one area where this film is I think really you know is showing its age um but yeah. but first let's talk let's keep going yeah. working through the assembly cut so um but the other interesting thing about the ox scene is that you get to see a face hugger when the guy comes in he says oh what's this and he holds up a face hugger yeah right yeah which which if you if you look really closely it's really hard to tell and you really have to know your face hugger anatomy yeah <laughs> but this is actually a super face hugger and um this is the face hugger that had been attached to ripley and not the ox which is it, unfortunately it it really is confusing because it makes it i thought it was off of the ox However, this was the super face hugger that was actually attached to Ripley and that had implanted her with the queen. And a super face hugger is the face hugger that actually makes the queen um, aliens rather than the regular aliens. Okay. Okay. 
So that's, that's what the reason little... that's confusing is here we get this assembly cut to try and clear things up. And that actually becomes more confusing when we see a face hugger right next to the ox that's about yeah. to blow. Right. It, it is very confusing. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's almost better to not just assume, just assume that it's just a regular face hugger and it's the one that had implanted the ox. Yeah. I just happen to know that now and I thought I'd throw it out there to confuse everybody. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually glad you did because I had not made that connection. That did not make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, and so now it, or it, it made perfect sense to me and now it doesn't. So in right. a way you've ruined things for me just a little yes. bit. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. That's what uh, I'm here for. Okay. So the big one for me, the big notable change for me that, that substantively changes the film is the final plunge, the final nesty mm -hmm. plunge. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and that's a big one because, uh, I mean, we don't actually, I mean, it, it's big to a certain extent, but we just don't see the the alien queen burst out of her chest when she's what falling. Do you, that's it. And, and in the original film, I remember this so clearly, the mm -hmm. alien bursts out of her chest, she grabs hold of it right. to hang on to it so it can't jump out Right. And she takes it with her to her fiery grave. Right. In the assembly cut, she falls. It is a very Jesus-like plunge into her fiery grave. But there is no chest burst. Right. Does it? Is that for better or for worse? No, I don't know. I I kind of like the alien bursting out of her chest. Really. I do. I do. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I think there's a lot of people involved who prefer the original. And I think there's a lot of people involved who prefer the, uh, chest burster. Um, the whole chest burster bit was actually a reshoot that they did in LA later because they felt it needed a different ending. They felt people wanted to see that, that last alien pop out. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I like both versions. Um, I, I think my biggest problem is I'm always distracted by the effects. But I'm trying to l not let that sully this part of our conversation since we yeah. will be talking about the effects um, later. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm not super partial to that as, as a big change for me. Why, why is it for you? I that's the one that I remember as being just woefully clumsy. Yeah. Uh, when when I when I, the first time I saw it, I it sticks to me as you know that that final scene, um, you know where uh, uh, where she's they're trying to call her back off the ledge and she she does the plunge when it bursts out of her chest. I thought, oh, this is so dumb. That's so dumb. And so it was it was jarring the first time I saw that it was not that the alien does not burst out of her chest. And I couldn't but I couldn't tell what the motivation was. And this is what what I was struggling with is the motivation to do that in this assembly cut to streamline somehow the transition between Alien 3 and Alien 4 uh, and Resurrection um, to make it somehow. Uh, I don't know, easier to easier to. Um, to to get into that the next film or is it really for uh to justify you know or, or is it really to just let the character come to a um to a, a more respectful end uh I, I mean it does seem more respectful i guess 
having having it not bursting out of her chest and it does it does build to a better you know i guess across the three films it does feel very sacrificial when she's you know throwing herself in in a kind of a jesus pose mm-hmm. so i uh, yeah i mean i i can i can buy that i can go with that um it is interesting and i i hadn't really made that tie until you just said that but you know the the jesus pose as she's falling and then the next one is resurrection yeah okay i guess i i hadn't really caught that little connection there but um uh huh that's interesting yeah well i you know what do you think what do you what do you think of the uh addition to this assembly of the whole capturing of the alien and and the um gallic character essentially who is one of the only witnesses to the alien attacking people and now and they lock him up thinking he's crazy but then once it starts attacking everybody else and they they catch the alien right in the incinerator Mm -hmm. and then he um kind of mentally deranged and basically at this place where he's kind of you know been baptized by the alien by the blood from one of its victims and now feels like this is this you know fiery dragon and he needs to worship it and help it and all this stuff um he goes and frees the alien right what all of that was additional stuff what happened in the original is they basically went from the big you know accidental explosion that incinerates you know half of the people um to uh, and that ends with the alien being caught. It goes from that to them saying, "All right, well, our last chance is is to get it into the lead works." Yeah, that that they, but the alien was caught, and they were going to open it to lure it into the lead works. Is that what you're saying? I don't no, remember it, that it, connection. It was, it was never, not caught. The alien was never caught. They, but and, but now they say, okay, our only option now is to lure it into the lead works. Okay, right, right, right. All right. Well, we're going to have to use ourselves as bait. That's basically the that's what how, okay. how that's how the theatrical cut went. Well, I'll tell you what I like about it because uh, the the logistics of it are all sort of opaque to me. Like I don't I don't really remember obviously the the original cut as well. Um, but you know, back to this bucket of bald white guys, uh, there is a lot of talk in this film uh, about how these guys are bad. These are murderers and rapists of women, right? Right. They're bad guys, but we don't get a chance to see a lot of them being full on crazy, right? Right. We don't see that. We see a lot of twitchy people. We see people doing things that they have some more sort of an affective disorder. Um, Some of them seem kind of high functioning, sort of autistic, and then uh, we have a we have a few who try to attack but Ripley. W- we do, but those are, are that that's sort of this isolated kind yeah, of right in, inconsequential. And I'm going to say I'm say that knowing full well that there you know there there are repercussions to that uh, to that act, and and it means something to you know have to this is the Hitchcock put the gun on the mantelpiece, right? Mm-hmm. If you you if you're going to talk about how these guys are rapists. You're going to have to show a rape. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, if you're going to talk about just how crazy these guys are, and especially this Gallic character, um, you're, you're going to have to show, you're going to have to illustrate visually just how crazy he is. And, and I think it, that ends up being the more substantial or significant act in the film. And 
fills a hole I didn't know I needed filled, but does yeah. it in a very rewarding way because it shows something about this bucket of white guys that they they really are they're they're not reformed they're damaged and the yeah. reason they're still there it makes good on the promise of being on this planet the right. reason they're still there is because they are damaged and as yeah. a unit they recognize it and when that 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 tiny that top is is tapped in in just one this is the top from uh, you know inception right when it's just tapped a little bit uh, they wake up and um and and i i f- i feel like that's what this that whole segment illustrated when he goes and kill and and knocks out that other dude and and opens the the incinerator mm-hmm. it it made good on a on a dramatic promise of the character in a really i think a powerful way yeah i i like it i i i feel like that bit more than any of the other editions does slow it down a little bit um but i i do like it um interestingly and I'm curious of your take on this. I was, uh, you know, one of the, um, I think it was the production designer. He felt like trapping the alien showed that there was, um, it took away a little bit of the power of this alien creature. The fact that that people could just trap it like they did. Hmm. Which I thought I didn't was pretty interesting. I, I, I didn't get that either. I'm like, I, I didn't think it, it didn't feel like it really took that much away. But I mean, I guess I can see that, but it didn't really cross my mind. But yeah, no, I, I didn't feel that way at all. And in, in fact, I, I thought it lended to um, more of a perception that this is a this is a uh, there's a large part of this that is a beast, right? That is a wild, crazy animal. Mm-hmm. And and that you know somehow uh, these doofuses uh, were able to work together and trap it. So it it was a sense of hope, right? Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So. It, yeah, and even even with uh, the sacrifice that one of them has to make in order to do so, but it's it is one of those things where it uh, it does lend itself and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like it. I think all in all, I definitely prefer the assembly cut. There's just a lot of little things peppered all through it that, for me, make for a stronger film. I, I think so, too. There's one more I want to get your opinion on, which is the autopsy. Right, which most of that, I think, was in the original, but there are a few little additional bits to it. Right. The... um the the gore the gore of the little girl on the autopsy table well and the gore that we see is even in the assembly cut is still incredibly reduced from what the original um rough cut was like mm-hmm. i've heard them talking about like the stuff that they actually saw and they said like even effects people who make gory effects thought it was just one of the most repulsive things they'd seen so luckily the full extent of the autopsy has not made it back in because i don't think people would want to see that no it's rough it's a horrible thing to have to watch them cutting open newt you know to see if there's a an uh, egg inside her i mean a, an embryo right so all right well let's talk just briefly about the special effects um it's it's one of those films that 
uh, I mean, they got a, an Oscar nomination for visual effects. Uh, they did an incredible job with the effects for the time. That's How, that's that's really yeah. the, the nut of it. Yeah. And and then the time, as it turns out, was brief. Yeah, this was a time when you know they were still. Um, using a lot of practical effects. They're using models, like the whole opening with the Nostromo and the uh, EEV being ejected from it and falling to the planet. That was all shot practically with models, uh, which is great. That sort of stuff looks great. The stuff that looks less than stellar is the um, the alien effects when it's um, when it's a creature running around, not when it's the man in the suit, which generally looks like what we've experienced in right. the first two films. But when it's the little, you know, I think they they were looking to design something that looked kind of like a, a cross between a puma and a freight train, I think is how they described it. <laughs> but basically this, you know, creature running, it's almost just like scurrying across the floor or the ceiling or the walls or wherever it's going. Um, it moves really fascinatingly. It's um, it's a beautiful thing to look at. However, the matte work that they have going from the blue screen that they shot this puppet on, um, and that's important because it, it this was a rod puppet. This was, was not at yeah. any point a CG creature. Yeah, it was a rod puppet shot on a blue screen with a motion controlled camera. They called it um, Mo Motion for some reason, as as opposed to Go Motion or Stop mm -hmm. Motion. They called it Mo Motion. I'm not really quite sure what that meant. But basically what they did is they did all this intricate puppet work on a blue screen with a motion control camera. They then took the camera to the set and they they had the motion control camera play its course through the exact same motion so that that alien would fit into the shot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I mean, it's an incredibly complicated process that they did a great job with. However the mat work of going from, you know, pulling that creature off of the blue screen, putting it onto the screen, it just never looks like it's actually physically in the space. It, that is, that is really true. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of sad, but, but in the end it looks, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that gets back to what we have talked about repeatedly with David Fincher. I mean, here is a guy who has really pushed, the capability of technology of the time with every film that he has done. Yeah. And, and this, this movie is, is really where that, that started. Yeah. And it stems a lot from his work as an effects cameraman, mm -hmm. even going back to the star Wars days or not star Wars. I think it was Jedi that he worked on. Um, understanding the nature of shooting and of, of effects and how they play into a film really lent itself well to him understanding how to design shots and how to make this all work to get the alien in the film. Mm -hmm. if, at the time, it was great, you know? Well, and and the vast majority of the film still is really great. Uh, yeah. And, and for everything that they went through to actually make this movie, that it made it to screen um, and and that it fits in the end really as well as it does into the alien universe is a real testament to what they did. And, they, and you know, we, we haven't really talked about the individual characters. You know, they, they, they get lost in the bucket of bald white guys. But, um, you know, on top of Sigourney Weaver's bald white girl uh, performance, <laughs> uh, 
um, you know, Charles Dance, Brian Glover, Ralph Brown, Paul McGann, Pete Postlethwaite. Uh, uh, it was just, I mean, these guys are terrific. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, last but absolutely not least, Charles Dutton. Yeah. Um, you know, these, these guys made a, made a, an individual mark in their role in this film in a really unique way, uh, even as little screen time as some, some of them had. Yeah. They definitely did. You know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this uh, based on um, your uh, comment last week about aliens and how James Cameron really struggled to find rough enough looking British people who could play American because yeah. they were all too soft. And I'm like, did he look at this cat? <laughs> These are some really rough looking British people. Uh, I mean, Brian Glover in particular, oh my goodness, he is just like ready to just kick butt. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, that may have just been James Cameron's bias in wanting to make just a really American military film. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can kind of tell that was the message that, you know, uh, that they were they were sending. We really did everything we could, you know, we really tried. <laughs> right. So... Right, right. Uh, so the movie it ended up costing, would you say, sixty three million? Uh, it it did not bad. Uh, it actually did office. well. Yeah. 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 So so that's that was I think good. It didn't do as well. Uh, did quite a lot bit uh, better overseas. It made domestically about uh, fifty, almost fifty five million. Internationally, uh, about one hundred three point five million. So all told, about one hundred fifty eight million. So it still did pretty well considering the budget. Uh, let's see. Any other awards of note? Um, not huge ones. I mean, it did get nominated for some Saturn Awards, Hugo Awards, uh, MTV Movie Awards. I mean, you know, those, yeah. <laughs> the the ever important MTV Movie Awards. So, um, dude, they're gonna come to your house. They are now. They are. Um, a, a new face for the music. Elliot Goldenthal did the music on mm -hmm. this. Um, a very interesting composer who really writes less contemporary type of uh, film score, or I should say, the classical type, and writes very atmospheric film score. Um, you know, he's done a lot of uh, really interesting scores that are a lot harder to listen to but i mean he he does he does some good stuff he won an oscar for frida in 2002 but which uh, was which was a terrific uh film i think the there are some that stand out to me i was surprised when i looked at his list of films the ones that i actually remember and and remember being moved by public enemies um most recently i i thought was terrific um but uh michael collins yeah, uh, he got a, an Oscar nomination for Michael Collins, which was terrific. And just before that, Heat with uh, Al Pacino yeah, uh, was a fantastic film and score. As was uh, Interview with the Vampire, which I like. I don't that. remember that very well. I just don't right. I put that, uh, put that Had behind me. Had a good me. gothic feel to it. Yeah. So. Do you remember the, the uh, score to Demolition Man? I don't think I ever uh, even saw was that. that the, is that yeah. the uh, Wesley Snipes? Yeah, uh, Wesley Snipes, and uh, that was the one where he and uh, and um, Sylvester Stallone are cryogenically frozen. Yeah, yeah, that wake was... up when like fast food restaurant wars and you can't and swear, uh, yeah. and you get tickets for swearing. And who was the the girl? The Sandra, uh, Sandra, Sandra Bullock. Bullock. Yeah, yeah, this was her. That was a terrible film. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> All right. I I uh, what else do you want to what else do you want to throw in here? For, I, for the I've got kids? one one fun little uh, um, special effects note that I think is a fun little trivia bit for people. Mm-hmm. You know the shot early on when we see the on the ship. I think it's actually during the credits. We see the the ship scan of somebody's face, and we see that there's a face hugger on it. Right. Yeah. And you see it kind of, you know, as the face is rotating and you kind of get that three-dimensional view of the face hugger on the face. You can see the person's skull. You know that? Remember that bit? I do. So they did not have a face scan of Sigourney Weaver for that. They did not have her head scan to use. The only head scan that they had that they could use for this was Meryl Streep's. (laughs) No way. Because I, I'm guessing it was for Death Becomes Her, which was released the same year. And um, I think some of the same people were involved um, in the effects for that film as this film. And so the only the only uh, head that they had was Meryl Streep's. So that is... Are you there? That was my that was my interesting little bit of trivia, Andy. Uh, I need you to do pretty much the whole bit of trivia again. Oh, uh, you just disappeared for like ten seconds. You were gone, and so you said the the only one they had was Meryl Streep, and then you said that is, and then you were gone. And maybe you just said that is my little bit of trivia. Did you say anything between there? I don't. I don't remember. Oh, you're fine. We'll make it work. I that's fascinating about Meryl Streep. I I did not know that. How do you think they pay Meryl Streep for use of her likeness in a face scan special effect? I don't think anyone. I, it sounded like when he said this in the special features that this was the first time he actually was admitting it to anybody. So I don't know if Meryl Streep ever even knew. And that's honestly, so you can't awesome. you can't even tell because yeah. you've got this big face hugger over it. So you know it's. Oh, that's so you'd, good. Yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to to prove it, I guess. But <laughs> That is so good. Yeah. Well, I, I've, got, uh, I've got nothing else on this one. A great film, uh, certainly uh, deserving uh, of a place on the list. I, you know, uh, like I said uh, early on, I have been um, uh, mixing up a lot of elements from what I thought was this movie uh, that I, actually I'm now remembering were uh, were from Resurrection. So mm. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching this one again. Uh, but I'm one of those people that I just uh, man I watched Alien and Aliens as the big double bill. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of years, and these these didn't take. So uh, this one you. this one has been terrific, and and I'm I'm looking forward to Resurrection. It should be an interesting uh, revision. It's an interesting one to throw into the mix. Definitely is. Are you bullish on this movie on Resurrection? Do you do you like where it fits, or you do not want to talk about it yet? I I don't want to talk about it too All much right. yet, but right. I, I do say. I do have moments that i enjoy with it and moments that frustrate me i remember the guy who can't walk the french guy in the wheelchair thing right that goes up and down and and i remember a lot of it being that i i kept comparing to the um city of lost children <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> <laughs> because it's pretty much that with an alien 
Yeah, that's because the same director. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly, same cast, and yeah, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, all right. Well, I've got and Winona <laughs> Ryder, you know. And if there yes. was ever a person who needed to be in a city of lost children. <laughs> All right, I I got nothing else. Uh, Andrew, uh, we didn't do the uh, the where can we find you? So you better do that for anybody and, who's and, listening. Yeah, that's right. I was uh, I was trying to set the whole beginning up with the whole Stitcher thing, so you could go into that. And I tried talking about this. Well, that and... was, and I thought that's enough. You just done it. You did the plug. <laughs> uh, people can find me at Soda Creek Film on Twitter or Facebook at Soda Creek Film, uh, SodaCreekFilm.com, and uh, on Rash Pixel. Excellent. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the show. And we're trying something new. If you want to check out uh, soundcloud.com slash rashpixel, if you're a SoundCloud user, I'm going to start trying to to post a couple of uh, odd episodes of rashpixel.tv shows uh, to SoundCloud and just see who's using it. So if you're using SoundCloud, check us out over there. Uh, follow us. And, and uh, as I start putting more shows up there, um, would love some comments. Let me know if you if you like SoundCloud. If you think it's a superior platform, I would love the comments. So you can tweet me at Pete Wright and uh, just let me know what you think. I think that's all we've got. Yeah, I think that's uh, as good a place as any to end it for this week. Fair enough, my man. See you next week for Resurrection. Hasta so longa. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.